Hi, I'm Sue. And I'm Rach. And this is the Georgette Hair Podcast. And in this episode, we're talking about powder and patch. So, Sue, how have you been? Very good, thank you. There's been some sunshine. I've enjoyed that. Um, I got to go backstage at Chelsea Flower Show, which was amazing because it's not it, it wasn't officially open at that point, so I could wander around and just look at all these beautiful plants. It was really nice. Um, and then yesterday I went to a work award ceremony and I did not win, but I did get a free meal. So past few days have been pretty good. You, you won a free meal, didn't you? So that's, <laughs> yes. that's good enough. What about you? Um, yes, I've been um, enjoying the sunshine. Well, the little bit of sunshine that we've had, um, mm. which, which we count in, in England, yeah. um, cause you don't get very much of it. Um, it's been very nice. Um, yeah, we've got getting our garden sorted, all that kind of stuff. We're going mm-hmm. to Broadstairs this weekend, which, Ooh. um, should be fun. Um, I was trying to think whether any, I think I might have said this before. I couldn't think of any, um, Georgia Hayer books that are, set on the kent coast we have absolutely Um, had this conversation yeah (laughs) we've been doing this podcast for a while now haven't we yeah okay and i think we established no there's none so (laughs) (laughs) okay um so shall we get on to talking about powder and patch let's do it now rach you summed this book up to me in one sentence earlier this week you described it as the book where he goes away gets dressed and comes back again (laughs) (laughs) she's maybe doing it a disservice but um, I've got a slightly more detailed summary so um Philip Jetton and Cleo Charteris are young and in love but Philip is unromantic set in his ways and lacking polish and Cleo is aware that as it currently stands he could prove to be a rather selfish husband So Cleone and Philip's father, Sir Maurice, send Philip to his uncle Tom to learn the ways of the world and live up to the Jetton reputation. But when he returns, will he be the same Philip they love? So yeah, this is very much a makeover book, isn't it, Rach? Did you enjoy it? Hmm. Um, Did I enjoy it? I I, I didn't enjoy it. It is not one of my favourite Georgia Hayer books. It's interesting what you said there in the summary about out um that it could make for a rather selfish husband mm. yeah okay we can we can we can we'll circle back to that but um I, I think my main issue with it is that I don't um I find it very difficult to warm to Cleone oh okay yeah I I, I yeah I, I really I really struggle with it. I'm not I don't think she's a particularly well-rounded character um mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I, I'm not I'm often not a fan of the of the younger ones anyway, and she's only eighteen. Um, mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, I think that's why I struggled with it a little bit because I just I, I couldn't warn to her. I'm not sure I particularly warned to Philip. I, I think it's a character thing. I'm, I just didn't really warn to either of the characters. How about you? Oh, in contrast, I enjoyed oh. this much more than I thought I would. It, it's not one I have reread in many many years. So I was thinking, oh, I must have not reread it for a reason. But actually, I, yeah, I got into it. I enjoyed it. I really like Sir Maurice. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that immediately struck me about this book is that we have a narrator. So that that felt a little bit unusual. So where it starts and the narrator's kind of explaining this 
it's, it's almost like it's being set up as a fable yes because parts of it are written in the first person yeah so it's it, it, yeah yes I see what you mean but but it, it doesn't necessarily the beginnings like that and the, the, a couple of chapters are like that but it, mm. it doesn't follow that the whole the narration isn't the whole way through though is it it doesn't no. feel like that narration lasts the whole way through no and it makes me struggle to understand what the purpose was behind it I, I, I don't dislike it um I, I yeah I do kind of like the way it sets up as a as almost a, yeah like I said a fable where it, you know it's a a small location with a few families and we learn about these different families and how they interact with each other um it, it, yeah it almost feels like it's going to turn into a fairy tale but well those in Philip's transformation he's a little bit Cinderella like um but yeah so that, that just stood out for me that there's there's this narrator so that's interesting so so and then you said you're not sure why it set out like that because mm. I think that's one of the questions I had was why is there that beginning bit that sets out who um the, the families in that mm. the, the family history of it when I so I sort of guess that it's relevant to the characters and um yeah to the to the characters in the book but it, it doesn't feel entirely relevant to the rest of the story does it no I, yeah there would have been yeah it wasn't entirely needed I, I think it does allow for the setup of the Jetton family tradition so there's that kind of story about or story about the Jettons where they say a rakish youth says the Jetton adage mm. marriage for love and a stayed old age so they're, they're wild wild youths then they marry someone they love and they turn very very respectable so I, I guess that that intro sort of allows for that setup um but yeah there would have been other ways of presenting that yeah and I guess then Philip mm. almost goes the opposite to that doesn't he he does yes um but I think actually before we get to Philip we also learn about Philip's father and I think it's it's good to get that background on on Philip's father because he's my favorite character in this book I think so he's had his rakish youth with his brother and then he marries this woman that he loves, Maria. And I think she dies while Philip is still very young. And he sort of withdraws from London society. And there's this line in there that says, the pride seemed, so the pride being the family home, the pride seemed to call him and little Philip held his heart with both hands. And I, that's a lovely mm. image. He's a very affectionate father, isn't he? But he, he does eventually re-enter society in London and Paris. He just does it in a slightly more measured mature way and I, that's very much what I think about Sir Maurice he is a very measured man and he wants Philip to have that that balance as well and that broad-mindedness but yes you're right Philip Philip is not a rakish youth let's talk about Philip so we've got um we've got a bit of a description of him mm -hmm. here so this is um this is sort of seeing him through um, Cleone's eyes. Mm -hmm. um, Cleone has an eye for colour and style. She liked her cavaliers to be a la mode. So Matthew Trelawney, for instance, had affected the most wonderful stockings, clocked with butterflies. Frederick King wore an excellently fitting coat that, it was said, he required three men to ease him into. Philip's coat was made for comfort. He would have scorned the stockings of Matthew Trelawney. He even refused to buy a wig. 
wore his own brown hair brushed back from his face and tied loosely at his neck with a piece of black ribbon. No powder, no curls, unpolished nails, an unpainted face, guiltless too of even the smallest patch. It was, thought Cleone, enough to make one weep. Nevertheless, she did not weep, because for one thing, it would have made her eyes red, and another, it would have been of little use. Philip must be reformed, since she, well, since she did not dislike him. So I think that's quite, it, it sort of sets him up against the other young men of the day. So they were yes. all, um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a period of very lavish clothes for young, uh, for, mm. for gentlemen, mm. what we would now consider quite effeminate, I think. Even the, their affectations yeah. were quite what we would consider effeminate. Um, and I, I don't think it's just his appearance, though, is it? There's also his character. Yeah. Yes. His whole bearing, isn't it? His whole yeah. bearing is, is unpolished. Yes. I've got a section here that says, um, Philip showed no desire to follow in his father's footsteps. He refused to go on the grand tour. He cared nothing for dress or fashionable manners. He despised the life of courts. He preferred to remain in the country usurping to a great extent his father's position as squire he was now some 23 years old tall and handsome but as his father told his uncle an unpolished cub yeah yeah he doesn't sound like a bad guy does he just no no not at all and I think um but it so it's interesting isn't it about who's uh, thought of a better phrase who, whose side you're on there in terms mm. of um so both Sir Maurice, sorry, or Sir Maurice, um, and Cleone um, want him to change, mm. and and so his refusal to change was that just because he doesn't want to um, change to please other people, or you know he he is so I am what I am sort of thing, mm-hmm. which is his point of view, or is it, or is it selfish um, and boorish not to conform in some way to. Uh, what is a la mode yes I think I'm more on Philip's side there to be absolutely honest <laughs> well, I, I think so Maurice does a really good job of explaining what he wants for his for his son um, so I think at this point Mr Bancroft um, who's quite the exquisite has entered the scene and Philip is feeling like everyone wants him to be like Mr Bancroft but um, so Maurice says um, Oh, yeah. And that's so Mr. Bancroft has been sort of he's returned to the country because he's had some sort of scandal involving a woman. So Marie says, um, I abhor clumsiness in an affair. He watched Philip draw back. An affair of the heart should be daintily conducted. A Jetton should bear in mind that for him there can only be one love. The others, he waved his hand, should be treated with the delicacy that they deserve. Above all, they should end lightly. I would have no woman the worse for you, child, but I would have you know women and the world. I would have you experience the pleasures and the displeasures of polite society. I would have you taste the joys of hazard and the exhilaration of your sword against another's. I would have you take pains in the selection of a cravat or the designing of a vest. I would have you learn the way to turn a neat compliment and a pretty phrase. Above all, I would have you know yourself, your fellow men and the world. I, I think that I do kind of get that. I um, I, I don't think he wants. I don't think he wants Philip to change for his own selfish reasons. He wants Philip to have a fuller life. Yeah. So, but that's not about Philip's happiness, is it? I, I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. I, yeah, 
I don't think he's doing it for bad reasons. He wants him to, yeah, be be a man of the world and under yeah understand the world a little bit more. But that it does involve him being, yeah, more like other young men of his, yeah, yeah, of his age, I guess. Um, and it, it's about him conforming, though. It is still about him conforming. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I, I think Philip, as I do, struggled. Well, no, I think Philip struggles to, yeah, get where his father's coming from as well. And his father just actually gets increasingly blunt about yeah. his issue with Philip. So he says at one point, "You are a country bumpkin, my dear. He is a coddled doll," as in Mr. Bancroft. Strive mm. to become something betwixt the two. And and they start talking about Cleon. And um, so Philip says, Cleone, sir, will give herself where she pleases, but she is not one to overrate the tricks of such as Bancroft or to underrate the discomforts of tying herself to one who is tied to the soil and his own pleasure, yeah. said Sir Marie softly. The grey eyes met his, a trifle hurt. I am selfish, father, because I will not become the thing I despise and narrow, Philip, to despise what you do not know. Yeah. I'm, so that's, uh, mm. Yeah. I do get that and I, I, I and I do actually understand it more from her point of view mm. because you know she as so it, it, there's, a, there's a line in it she wanted all that he despised so she wants you know to be you know she's 18 she yeah. wants this life of a bit you know, like gaiety of going to you know going to parties of a of a life in uh, part of her her time being in London mm. and to marry somebody that clearly doesn't want any of that that I absolutely understand not wanting, you know, her not agree, her not um, agreeing to his proposal. Yeah. Um, her not wanting to tie herself to that at eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I and I do yeah, so I do yeah, you understand Cleone's motivation there. Yes, I I, I no, I, I do I do agree with what you were saying earlier in that she is perhaps not the most fully fleshed out of characters, but I do think she shows a maturity in her understanding of what life with Philip would look like. So there's a a passage where she says, or where he said, mastery thrilled her, but a mastery that offered to take all, give nothing, annoyed her. That Philip loved her to distraction, she knew. Also, she knew that Philip would expect her to bend to his will. He would not change. It would be she who must conform to his pleasure. Philip was determined to remain as he was, faithful but dull. And then Philip had made a mistake in his wooing in showing her how much his own he thought her. So yeah, I think she's got she's she's got a mature insight into how that relationship would work and the struggles that that would bring. And I I kind of do respect her for putting her foot down and saying, actually, despite the fact that I love you, I'm not going to marry you like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think she doesn't necessarily treat all of the, uh, uh, so her her court particularly mm. well. She doesn't necessarily treat him very well, but yeah, mm. I, I, I do I do yeah, understand her motivation. Yes, um, and I think even Philip does eventually kind of accept a need to change. Um, well, uh, do you think so at the beginning? So, so I don't know whether it's sort of mixed at, at the beginning. Mm. It, he almost, he almost wants to punish them, doesn't he? So, yeah. 
um, he's like, fine, I'll I'll become this um, this man who you want me to be, mm. and, and sort of then and see see how you like it, sort of thing. So I, there yeah. is an element of wanting to punish them, isn't there? In in his decision, in his um, decision, in his, sorry, in his agreement to go to Paris. Yes, that, I think that's certainly true. Um, there's a section here where he says, in a wave of self pity, he considered how dearly he loved those two people. He wanted neither to change. He loved them for what they were, but they, he felt very sore and ill-used. Something else there was that troubled him. He had set about the task of punishing Mr. Bancroft, and Mr. Bancroft had ended by punishing him. No pleasant thought that Bancroft was master not only of words, but of swords. He, Philip, was master of neither. He brooded over the question, chafed and irritable, and so came home to Sir Maurice. So, yeah, there's, there's absolutely a bit about punishing them, but there's also that niggling doubt in his mind isn't there from that from his dealings with mr bancroft that actually maybe he's not as yeah. competent or as ready to face the world as he thought he was yeah yeah and it was after a pretty i mean that sort of realization was after a pretty grueling proposal wasn't it yeah but so the the it was it was a very clumsy proposal mm. um and she and it was he was obviously very hurt from that as well wasn't he yeah but um Philip has got it in him to change. So the other, uh, the other title for this story is the transformation of Philip Jetton. So you sometimes see that title knocking around, don't you? And uh, yeah, the transformation is extreme and fast. I mean, he learns yeah. how to speak French in six months. He has my <laughs> unending respect for that. Yeah, he, I mean, he he changes. Yeah, is is significant the change, isn't it? So, mm. and, and I'm not quite. So don't think we know so you have the first scenes where he's sort of being dressed up mm. um and he's still fairly reluctant at that point and still quite skeptical of the whole thing mm. and then you have a, a gap in time mm-hmm. um and then the next time you see him he is absolutely fully tra- um, transformed and the, yes um the darling of paris which is the right way to play it because we don't want to spend you know, oh, 100 yeah. pages watching him but stumble you, through French society. You, you definitely don't. But I guess what you don't see is the the moment that his mindset changes. But, mm. you know, f- from being really sceptical to um, I'm going to throw myself into this full throttle. There is a section that I really like that kind of um, sums up his transformation. Um, so we see him preparing for his first ball. And then after that first ball, Philip threw off the last shreds of rebellion. He played his part well, and he became very busy. Every morning he fenced with an expert until he had acquired some skill with a small sword. He spoke nothing but French from morn to night. He permitted the Marquis to introduce him into society. He strove to loosen his tongue, and he paid flippant court to several damsels who'd ogled him for his fine appearance until his light conversation grew less forced and uncomfortable. For a while he took no interest in his tailoring, allowing Tom or Francois to garb him as they pleased. But one day, when Francois extended a pair of cream stockings to his gaze, he eyed them through his quizzing glass for a long moment, then he waved them aside. Francois was hurt. He liked those stockings. Would not Monsieur consider them? Monsieur most emphatically would not. If Francois admired plink clocks on a cream ground, let him take the stockings. Monsieur would not wear them. They offended him. Before very long, La Jeune Anglais was looked for and welcomed. Ladies liked him for his firm chin and his palpable manliness. Men liked him for his modesty and his money. 
He was invited to routs and bal masks, to club parties and soirees. Philip began to enjoy himself. He was tasting the delights of popularity. Bit by bit, he grew to expect invitations from these new acquaintances. But still, Monsieur Le Marquis was dissatisfied. It was all very well, but not well enough for him. However, it was quite well enough for Thomas, and he departed chuckling and elated. He left Philip debating over two wigs in the arrangement of his jewels. Hardly a fortnight later, Philip made secure his position in polite society by fighting a duel with a jealous husband. Lest you be shocked at this sudden depravity, I will tell you that there was little enough cause for fighting, as Philip considered the lady as he might consider an aunt. Happily, she was unaware of this. <laughs> so, quite the turnaround. He has his first ball a fortnight later. Yeah, and we don't... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we don't quite know why he sheds off the, the last bits of rebellion. Mm. But I guess what we can... So what it's telling us is that he sort of tastes, um, he gets a taste for it, doesn't he? He gets a taste for being this popular character um, in little bits. And then actually he discovers an aptitude for being this character and Mm. for, um, uh, yeah, for all the things that that brings, like the the taste in dress and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, Yeah, and he, he, he starts to enjoy the character. But I still think it's always a character isn't he? he's play- he feels like he's playing a character yes but then there's that interesting um interesting line from lady marmostoke early on where she's describing herself and she said that she she's quite outspoken and um unusual um so she was she was very attractive but never beautiful and her pose became a habit so i wonder if there's an element of mm. of you know, he will end up absorbing some of this behaviour because he he will do it so often. And he, yeah, he'll, he'll yeah. end up being a, a lovely mixture of the two. Yes, because, I mean, yes, exactly. So so when you, when you first, I, I guess you're sort of left guessing a little bit how, how much of the old Philip is still there. And, mm. and you do, it is still, yeah, and it is still there. Um, but you've got this, yeah, this polished... Um, young, it's not really dandy, you know, in, in at that time, is it? But mm. um, this polished young gentleman. On top of that, on top of the the Philip that we know and love. Yes, um, and of course, Mr. Bancroft though doesn't love this very popular suave Philip. Um, so when Bancroft shows up on the scene, Philip's, yeah, he's he's made his transformation in these six short months, and. Uh, Bancroft is suddenly on on the back foot. Everyone loves Philip. No one cares for Bancroft. He's rather uh, he's rather clumsy, and they end up, of course, with Philip challenging him to a duel. And because he's learned these sword skills, he's actually you know a, a pretty fearsome opponent at this point. He is, and but, but that I mean, do feel a little bit for um, Mr. Bancroft at that duel because you you hear the duel described. Mm. through a, a le- um through the retelling of it from his father don't you from um Bancroft's oh, yeah. father yeah uh, and it is it does sound like an absolute farce that that duel because there's a fiddler oh, there yeah. and yeah it, it sounds rather embarrassing for uh, for mr bancroft yeah no actually that's fantastic I, don't, I remember that now And of course, in this same letter where the jewel's being described, um, this is where um, basically this guy drops Philip in it a little bit with Cleone because 
um, he says that this duel was fought over some French lady or, or wench. Um, I think it was a lady. I'm not sure. Um, and and then obviously this this um, gets Cleone's back up a little bit because, <laughs> as you can imagine, not what she wants to hear that Philip is fighting a duel over another woman. <laughs> and the, and so naturally this. Um, she, she her hackles go up at this. Yes, and well, she's been invited. Yeah, so she goes to visit her aunt, Lady Marmstoke, and I think really throws herself into society and flirting and distracting herself from whatever Philip's up to. But luckily, Tom, lovely Tom, um, gets involved and uh, warns Philip what's going on yeah. at home. So I'll just read this letter because it's one of those letters that's got an awful lot of unnecessary capital letters in it, but that seems to be <laughs> how they wrote back then. Um, Dear nephew, the devil's in it now and no mistake. Old Satterthwaite was present at your crazy duel and has writ the whole tale to Harry Bancroft, who, cursing for an interfering old fool, read it to your father and Cleone. The tale is that you and B quarrelled over some French minx, which may be true for all I know, in any case, Cleone is monstrous put out, and comes to town to her aunt, old Sally Marmostoke. Maurice writes me this, and demands your return, being upset for the girl's sake, but secretly delighted at the story if I read his letter aright. Do as you please, dear boy, but I warn you, Cleone is in the mood for any madness, as is the way when a maid thinks herself slighted, and she is a prodigious pretty chit. My love to Chateau Banville, and to yourself, Tom. Yeah. So, this brings Philip, Philip back pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, he brings an awful lot of baggage. <laughs> <laughs> Physically or emotionally? <laughs> well, I don't think there's any emotional baggage he's been said, isn't it? But um, physical baggage, all, mm. uh, all of his clothes. It, um, you know, his uncle is um, is is very impressed by his um, new appearance. Yeah. Um, but Cleone less so. Yes. Well. I think when he first arrives back, Tom says Were you, to Philip, are you going to tell Cleo that, you know, there's a duel about her, not a French woman? Mm. And and Philip says, no, he's not going to tell her that. And he said, uh, I thank her for reforming me, but being human, I'm hurt and angry. So, yeah, he is he is setting out to, to upset things, isn't he? Um, and he, Cleo doesn't like the way he treats her because he, he treats her almost like he doesn't know her and... Yeah. Well, I, I think this is the element of, of him wanting to teach her mm. a lesson. Or, or to, um, yeah, not maybe that's a bit that's a bit harsh, but she, he, he basically at first wants her to think that he has just come become the man who she wanted him to be. So this is mm. this is you told me to go away. This is what you get. I am, yeah. you know, a, a painted and. Powdered pup. Yeah, and he also manages to get his dad's back up, doesn't he? Because he writes him this this letter. Yeah. It's a very proper letter, probably, but um, not very warm or affectionate. And he's yeah. yeah, he's really putting on these airs and sort of complaining about having to drag himself up to, you know, inhospitable England. And he and uh, Sir Maurice is is furious about this letter, isn't he? And he comes bursting in on Tom and sort of. Uh, complains about about Philip and who he's turned into but I think Tom says something 
really really sweet mm. about philip he says um something inside him has blossomed forth philip is now pure joy and he says uh in a way mm. he's the same but there's more of him and i like that because that's yeah. it kind of makes reference to that narrowness i think that that sir maurice was talking about earlier he's he's just got a bigger view of the world and uh yeah more joy which i think is exactly what sir maurice wanted for him yeah and i think um we get that he doesn't um keep up the affectations very long with his father does no. he they they soon sort of reconciles and Maurice can see that he's um he's basically the same old um the same old Philip at heart mm. and I think we also see it so um there's a moment where he's he's you know he he's all affectation with with Cleone but then James their old playfellow mm. um comes by and Cleone's then really put out because um Philip is um like openly affectionate and yeah. sort of a little bit like the old Philip with James um but wasn't like that at all with her so that puts her out again mm. but it sort of does show that he he's not you know he there is a lot of the old Philip still there yes gives but... her a glimpse of that yes yeah I agree but but Philip and Cleon sort of get in this strange vicious circle don't they where the more he mm. behaves like that the more she flirts outrageously and and then philip begins to doubt that she is the sort of woman one would wed um and then i guess he pulls back behind his his kind of uh, society manners and cleone flirts some more and you just get the mm. sense like oh somebody else is going to have to intervene because these two are not going to work it out between themselves yeah that's right and then there's the second proposal isn't there um but mm. but she, um that that doesn't go too well either no. <laughs> um because she basically throws up in his face all of the the she's very peaked at all, all these women that mm. um he is either supposed to have um fl uh, flirted or had liaisons with in in france but also the flirtations she's had in uh, in england um and you come to be with a tarnished reputation i think she says mm. And and he he basically and then you have this bit where you you sort of hear what you hear her thoughts of she's willing him to uh, be masterful and yeah. to argue against it and and then and he holds back he doesn't do that which yeah. he learns from <laughs> um, learns later on from Lady Marmoth. I've her name. Lady Marmastoke, yeah. Marmastoke. She learns from Lady Marmastoke that that is definitely the wrong thing to do. She, he should have been masterful. I think that was quite an interesting exchange between her and... We're going to need to get onto Lady Marmastoke later because are, she is yeah. a whole thing in herself, isn't she? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, he, he muffs up the proposal again. Um, and this time she is so upset that... <laughs> she's not listening when young james proposes to her and accidentally says yes i, I think she makes it very yes. clear straight away like oh sorry i wasn't even listening like no i'm not gonna marry you um but then that she's just upset again and then sir derek brenderby uh yeah. whisks her off into into a private room um and he manages to get hold of her locket and he wants to look inside the locket but she's being very secretive about mm. it so he will only give it back to her in return for a kiss which i think is dastardly um, oh it's awful yeah that scene is horrible yeah i i yeah it made me feel quite tense reading yeah it, it is it's this bit it's this bit so, um 
you're monstrous, unkind, it's my locket, and I don't want to kiss you. I don't, I don't, I hate you. That adds spice, my dear. Um, must I take the price? So that's horrible, Ooh. isn't it? That adds spice. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's not a good, not a good guy. And she choked, yeah, she choked down a sob. It's like, oh. And yeah. she, he still wants to kiss her. Oh. Anyway. And she very, very, very reluctantly agrees to this kiss, doesn't she? And just mm. then, Philip and James walk in. And, uh, and Sir Derek Brenderby feels that he needs to um, tell them that, that they're engaged in order to, to excuse this behaviour. <laughs> but James chips in with, she can't be, she's already engaged to me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an amazing yeah. moment. Um, yeah well done James yes um, yes and I think Philip sees the the funny side of it pretty quickly doesn't like the ridiculous and so does I mean so Derek is just sort yeah. of I mean he just he, he's just a mischief maker isn't he so he's yeah. deliberately causing mischief um but yeah so she's now in this absolutely ridiculous situation where she's engaged to two <laughs> to two men having just had a go at Philip for yes. having these flirtations. Mm. Yes. Um, so yeah, she kind of runs away, doesn't she? And and pours the story out onto, onto uh, Lady Marmastoke, who then talks to Sir Maurice about it. And Sir Maurice basically puts it all on Philip's shoulders to, to fix, or Philip's chin, rather. Um, and yes, a Lady Marmastoke reassures Cleone, oh, don't worry, Sir Philip will fix it. He has he has a masterful chin. And actually, all of that is in... It's in the last chapter, which is called Philip Justifies His Chin. Because Lady Marmastoke is obsessed <laughs> with his chin. Just insisting that, you know, if a man has that chin, you're not going to get one over on him. He's masterful. Yes. Um, yes, so he sorts it all out. One of the bits that makes me uncomfortable is how he sorts some of this out, at least, is he has a sword fight against Brenderby. Um, and they really enjoy that little that little bout of sword fighting. And in the end, yeah. Philip kind of ends up liking him. And I think, yeah. no, 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 he was horrible to Cleone. But he even says it to Cleone, I think, in the end. He says, oh, actually, you know, he's actually not that bad. I ended yeah. up thinking he wasn't that bad. It's like, oh, okay, because he forced me to kiss him. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, different different standards, different times, different standards. <laughs> but um, but it yeah, I don't I don't think we can agree with Philip there that he was actually just an all right fellow who um, no, who just likes a bit of mischief. <laughs> but the point was, he managed to get Brenda B to to um, you know withdraw from the engagement. Who never fully intended to no, see it through anyway. Absolutely, uh, but he is going to you know be a gentleman about it and not spread that tag yeah. anywhere. And then Philip has to talk to James, who does actually really care for Cleone, but I think he knows that she's not into him. And yeah, yeah. He, he just said it, didn't he, to kind of save her from Brenda B, which I think is a, yeah. is a lovely heroic thing to do. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so poor James withdraws. Yeah. Well, interestingly, I, th I think Philip talking to James makes you realise how much more mature Philip is now, because he seems like mm. the kind of the older chap who's learnt learnt a bit about women yeah i like that yeah definitely and that's it wraps up very quickly actually doesn't it um because then basically philip shows up at cleone's and says yep sorted it out she falls into his arms in gratitude 
um, they kiss and then it it does end quite quite nicely I think so he says to her next you will accuse me of loving Anne Nutley it was a masterstroke and he knew it you didn't not a tiny bit not an atom and no one in Paris no one I have pretended but they all knew that I had already lost my heart you pretended oh well must sweetest but he drew her closer but never most beautiful did I become engaged twice in one evening he stifled the cry that raised to her lips Philip that is ungallant and hateful he laughed is it not ah Cleon tell me my dearest what is in your locket something I meant to burn she murmured but did not no I, I could not she fumbled at her bosom and drew out the trinket see for yourself Philip he opened it a rolled lock of brown hair fell out and a torn scrap of parchment Philip turned it over yours till death Philip he read Cleon my love she buried her face on his shoulder. Your hair, your poor hair, she said. All gone. Look up, Cleon. She lifted her face. He gazed down at her rapt. Oh, Cleon, I shall write a sonnet to your wonderful eyes, he breathed. Do we think he'll continue to write poetry? I mean, I hope not. I did. I do like those bits where, <laughs> where he's trying his hand at poetry and, and everybody thinks he's t- terrible. Yes. Um, and I don't know. I don't actually know how serious he is because he does seem to be genuinely upset that they're all taking the mick out of him <laughs> it feels like he spends quite a lot of time on his poetry so, yeah exactly i'm not quite sure how serious he's taking it but um but yes so all lovely in the end but actually i think the more interesting couple is tom and lady uh Marmus- Mama Stoke, is it? Can we, just before we move on to them, um, so one other thing that happens in that last chapter, though, that made me very uncomfortable, uh, is uh, Lady Mama Stoke uh, has a black page and he is presented in the manner of a horribly offensive stereotype. And as ever with these parts of Hale books, it entirely takes you out of the moment. It feels horribly unnecessary. And I would really like to see those edited out. Um but that's where we are. That's that's what we get in here. We will have to mentally excise those sections. But moving on to something more pleasant. Uh, Tom and Lady Marmastoke. So starting with Tom, I think for one of those characters that's a, a bit of a these old shades Rupert. Um, you know he's a he's a older rake and a drinker. He's actually quite sensitive. And loving isn't he like i think he offers very good advice yeah. to to philip and his brother and he's got this this huge affection this affection that's lasted years for lady marmastoke she he loved her before she was even married yeah um yes he's yeah he's and he's very he's very invested in his family doesn't he he help he he wants to help them out and it is it's quite sweet isn't it that they end up after all these years becoming engaged I yes. think this this is the the real interesting love story here. Yeah. Well, so Marie said, um, I never saw a man so madly elated in my life when they yeah. were engaged. How sweet is that? It's sweet, sweet. Um, and she is a fun character, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her, she's questionable in some ways. <laughs> her opinions of <laughs> the differences between the sexes and how yeah. female minds work is definitely 
interesting. She's she's not afraid of a sweeping statement. No, definitely not. Um, so basically, all women want um, men to master them. <laughs> um, we've got a we've got erratic minds that jump from one thing um, oh, to oh, the next thing. Let, let me read that bit. Out and gone. Yeah. Um, so this is Lady Marmstoke talking to Philip. Women don't reason. That's a man's part. Why? Do you suppose that if Cleon thought as you think and had a brain like a man's, you'd be in love with her? Of course you'd not. You'd not be able to feel your superiority over her. Don't tell me. Mm. That's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Do so I'm not quite sure we can... I'm not quite sure why we can... We can agree with her <laughs> about, <laughs> about this. But I guess um, in terms of the, the specific advice to... Um, Philip at that time was that he did need to um, to be just to pursue make Cleon feel that she was being um, pursued and that he really did want her that that yeah so he needed to make that more clear to to her and I guess that's where that's the ultimate advice is that um, he needed to be a bit more forceful because she needed to understand how he felt yes I I mean to be precise she says take that girl and shake her Tell her you'll not be flouted. Tell her she's a little fool and kiss her. And if she protests, go on kissing her. Dear me, what things I do say. (laughs) I mean, at least she acknowledges that it's not a great thing to say. But I think, I mean, she knows, she's not saying it to somebody that she knows is actually going to do that. And and he, um, his reluctance says something not good about his character, I think. (laughs) But he's not actually going to do this, is he? No, no. <laughs> but yeah, she she's an interesting woman. Rather problematic. Sounds like quite the character in her day. But she's saying all of this mm. when clearly she is she, uh, you know, she, she's a, a, a fairly intelligent woman who is a for, a forceful personality. Mm. She's isn't she? So she, she is saying this about her sex, but mm. um she definitely doesn't fit that teri- um, that stereotype. I don't think we can believe that Tom is masterful over her. No. Well, that's because that's because she's contradictory, and she says herself, um, "You, you're only a man. You've not our gifts." I can tell you, my lady spread out her fan. Why, a woman can think of a hundred different things at once, all of them contradictory. She nodded at him complacently. So, so yeah, she can absolutely say that all women want to be mastered um and they're illogical and at the same time (laughs) she she will absolutely be in charge of her relationship um so anyway that's them but i i think they are going to be they're going to be a happy couple as well aren't they tom and lady marmostoke oh more so than i think philip and cleon i I mean i Mm. think philip and cleon would be happy i hope that he takes her to paris and she'll you know storm paris uh Mm. I'm sure she'll have a lovely time. And then, as is the Jetson family tradition, they'll settle down a bit. Make their home at the Pride. But, like Summerese, still keep it interesting with, you know, some trips into society. Sounds good. Sounds like a nice life. Okay, well, I think that's every... Every comment I'd care to make about Powder and Patch, I... Yeah, like I said, I, I enjoyed it, um... Not without its problematic parts, but overall, fun times. Yeah, it was all right. I just so I think the pro- 
it's too short for them, I mm. think, to really develop the main characters well enough. And it concentrates much more on Philip than it does on Cleo. And I just mm-hmm. think um, I'm not sure either of them particularly well-rounded characters. I think Philip's chin gets more attention than Cleo. Yes. Um, but it's a great chin. So that's it for, for this episode then. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, if you'd like to rate and review us, that would be lovely. Um, and if you'd like to get in touch via Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, please do. We always like to hear from you. So, Rach, what are we going to be reading next time? We are reading The Nonsuch. Excellent. Lovely. It's been absolutely ages since I've read it. Yeah, this is um, this is one of my favourites, I think. Well, yeah, oh. definitely top ten, so um, this should be good. Okay, cool. I look forward to it. Um, thank you for listening. You are amazing. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.